This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. And welcome into another edition of the Quack Attack here on a February evening this Wednesday night. 1029 and 750 The Game. Judah Newby here with you for the next hour. My man Chris Barty behind the glass this weekend. Talk some Ducks hoops coming off a disappointed weekend down by the Bay, and they're looking to turn their momentum around hosting the University of Washington Thursday night, and then Ernie Kent's Washington State Club will roll right into Eugene. Familiar grounds for Ernie on Sunday afternoon. But first, I got to recap what happened to the Ducks. Disappointing fashion, the Bay Area trip, they get a split, but it comes at the hands of... Cal getting a victory a week ago Thursday. Hardly impressive, but they got it done. Did hold Cal to the season low for Oregon in terms of points allowed. And then on Saturday, that effort that they put up against Stanford was one for the history books and not in a good way. Normally, this is the part of the show where we reset some of the top duck highlights, talk about areas where they impressed, but that's not going to happen in the Stanford game. Stanford 96, Oregon 61. It is the worst loss in terms of margin of defeat for any Ducks club under Dana Altman since he took the reins in 2010. Stanford led by 16 points at the half, shooting 67% from the floor, 6 of 9 from 3-point range. Nothing really good for the Ducks, although they did have flashes early. Paul White made his first start for Oregon since the 16th of December and had seven early points as Oregon led by a point with uh, 15.37 to go in the first half. That was the last good thing, really, that happened to Oregon because after that, it was all cardinal. They were able to get penetration inside. They were dominant on the glass. They were dominant on the defensive end of the floor. And it was especially disappointing for Oregon's defense considering that Stanford has a freshman point guard that is turnover prone and Oregon wasn't able to turn him over at all. Um, you know, we were talking to Scott Reese, the voice of Stanford, a week ago, and he said when Stanford is struggling and they were coming off a three-game losing streak going into last week before they beat the Beavers and then took on the Ducks, when they're struggling, they're turning the basketball over. And Oregon's defense was unable to get their hands on any passes or uh, inside the passing lanes to force any Cardinal turnover. Really, any category you look at. You can point to it and and see that it was dominated by Stanford. There was a stretch in the final seven minutes of the first half and the first eight minutes of the second half where Oregon was outscored 42-14. to That's terrible. They were outscored 18-8 to in the last seven minutes of the first half. They were outscored 24-7 to open the first eight minutes of the second half. And there's your ball game. Dorian Pickens, props up to him, 25 points. He went 9 of 11 from the floor and 5 of 6 from downtown. Keep in mind that it was hard to predict a loss quite of this proportion for Oregon, considering the fact that they had won three in a row. They were playing pretty good basketball. The narrative around this team was that this was going to be the second half season surge that we were all expecting that we'd become so accustomed to in the Dana Altman era. And what instead happened was that it was a young team that's been characterized by inconsistencies, and it showed up in a major, major way, an unavoidable way Saturday at Palo Alto. Oregon hadn't lost a game more than 12 points all season long. Not only did they lose this one by 35, but they did it, of course, by allowing a season high in points allowed, 96 to the Cardinals. So on Thursday, they allow a season low in points allowed to Cal. Two days later, they allow a season high to Stanford. That's a real head-scratcher. 
I mean, I don't really know how to explain that. You know, one day you're playing your best defense you have all year. The, the two days later, you're playing your worst defense that you've had all year. So that that's a tough one for Dana Altman to get his head around. If you recall a loss similar to this one, it happened back in 2015 when the Ducks lost by 34 points to Arizona. But this one being by 35, it is the worst of the Altman era. Stanford finishes this game shooting 60% from downtown, 12 of 20 beyond the arc. They also out-rebounded Oregon. 34 to 21. So an unenviable position for Dana Altman to try to explain what happened in this game, but he joined Joey Mack on the IMG post game. I'm going to let him try to explain it anyway. Got to talk about not competing, but other than that, we're going to flush it and move on. You know, just a poor effort. You know, we, we've only been beat like this one time in eight years. And that's the thing I'm most disappointed on. We, we usually find a way to compete, battle back, even though we are down 16 at half. You know, I thought we'd battle back and get ourselves in the game. And we missed a couple easy looks to start the half, and they hit a couple, and, you know, we just gave into it. So Oregon is now 15-8 and eight overall, 5-5 five and five in the Pac-12. I would say their at-large chances for the NCAA tournament are at about 5% right now. They've basically got to win out if they want to make the tournament and not win the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas. I mean, it's that slim. You look at their resume, it's just not there. You look at the Ken Palm rankings, they're rated number 90 in the country right now. You look at where they are in uh, RPI, 95th in RPI right now. You're telling me that's a tournament team? No, sir, it is not, especially not at this point, given their latest result down by the farm. That being said, there are still eight games to go in this regular season. Oregon faces UW Thursday, Wazoo Saturday. They will face those same two teams in their regular season finales on the road in Seattle and in Pullman, respectively. You know, they'll get a chance to get back into this thing and try to make a February push that we've been so accustomed to seeing. But it's not going to be easy. And to be frank with you, inconsistency is now part of this team's branding. It's part of their DNA. We should expect inconsistency. So as soon as they start putting something consistent together, I would buy the opposite of that as soon as possible. But they're going to take on a Washington team that is feeling pretty good about themselves after a pair of home wins lately over Arizona State and the University of Arizona. Washington has three wins this season over top 25 teams, including getting a pair of them last week. And they also beat Kansas earlier this year for another top 10 victory. But the win that the Huskies got over Arizona this past Saturday in Seattle was one of the more, one of the more special moments of the college basketball season. Cause it came down to the final play. It featured Deandre Ayton getting a block. And then of course, Washington hitting the buzzer beating three to get the win over the Wildcats. All right. We're just underway here on the quack attack on one Oh two nine, seven fifty. the game. Judah Newby here with you coming up on the other side. We'll go out to the phones and talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene register guard. What do we make of Oregon's loss to Stanford? More importantly, how did the ducks move on? I'll also uh, slip in a question about National Signing Day on the football side of things as Oregon adds nine more signees this Wednesday afternoon. More Quack Attack coming yours next on the game. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 the game. to the left elbow, pass taken away by Brown Jr. to the basket with one hand. Troy Brown Jr. 
10 points, four or five from the floor, creating offense with his defense. The few, the proud, the Oregon highlights from the Stanford game. And a 25 or a 35 point defeat that the Ducks suffered at the hands of the Cardinal. They look to rebound and they host Washington coming up this Thursday. And uh, they also get uh, Washington State coming up a little bit later on this weekend on Sunday afternoon at Matthew Knight Arena. Let's go out to the phones right now. We're going to talk to Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard. And Steve, thanks for joining us, first of all. And uh, what do we make from the 35-point blowout loss that the Ducks just suffered at the hands of the Cardinal? Yeah, it was ugly. And, you know, the other problem was it came after you mentioned they got the split. But, you know, I mean, they didn't play well against Cal. I mean, uh, basically probably 10 teams in the Pac-12 beat Oregon that night. And, um so they, they didn't feel well about that performance. They kind of survived that one, and then to go and just get drilled by Stanford. It was, it was the worst defeat of Dan Altman's career. It was just sort of, you know, they Stanford went up by, you know, 16 at the half and then just pulled away from there. It just wasn't real competitive. That's the first time that we've seen anything like that with this team this year. I mean, there have been some games they lost and this and that, but th- this is the first time where it just felt like they just kind of got the doors blown off and, and that's been pretty rare under this in, under this coaching staff, obviously. So it it bears to see. And you know, last year's team, you might have thought, hey, they can kind of shake that off. But this year's team hasn't really been through anything like this and hasn't had the success last year. So it bears to see if this thing, you know, if that loss carries over. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't necessarily feel like this team was due for a collapse like that. Did it? Didn't it feel like their stock was kind of on the rise, and this might be the second half? Surge, we were wanting to see out of them with that win streak going and a, a Stanford team that had dropped a few games before beating Oregon State. It, it seemed to me it was hard to expect a collapse like that game. I agree with you. You know, they, they've had a lot of trouble in the Bay Area under past, you know, under Ernie Kent. They lost at one point like 20 out of 21, but they had swept that trip two of the last three years under Altman. So it hadn't been quite the, you know, the, the scary trip that it had been in past years for Oregon. So it was a surprise and it was. You know, it was a Saturday afternoon. There wasn't much of a crowd. I think there was 5,000 people in it. Draw, so it wasn't like, you know, Arizona a couple of years ago when they got drilled in front of a, a large, raucous crowd. It, it was kind of a quiet afternoon crowd that just built up. And, and yeah, I mean, it did, like I say, the, the Cal game wasn't good. So some of it came after that that, you know, they didn't exactly come in there with a whole lot of momentum, even though they'd won. And then, um, you know, they just said, and it was in so many ways. I mean, it was Reed Travis inside, was able to do a lot, and Michael Humphrey inside. Then their freshman, like Paula, was able to drive a bunch on the Ducks, and then Dorian Pickens hit threes. It was sort of there wasn't like one thing you look at and say, hey, if they had done this different, it, Stanford just kind of did it in every single way against them. Yeah, could have been that perfect game for Stanford too. Like everything going in their favor, uh, certainly a little bit of both when you win by 35 points. Steve Mims of the Eugene Register Guard joining us. Find him on Twitter at Steve Mims underscore RG. All right, Steve. In terms of expectations for this team moving forward. You can kind of throw out uh, any at-large hopes out the window. Their uh, tourney bid would have to come through a Pac-12 tournament title, uh, it seems. So, with that said, what's kind of the Ducks' motivation and focus for the final eight games or so of the regular season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think an at-large bid is probably seven wins at this point, and that includes you. I mean, they've got Washington twice and, and Arizona, Arizona State at home, so there's not... I mean, there's some opportunities for decent wins there against teams that are going to be in the tournament, but it's hard right now to sit there. You know, you could say, hey, if they can win seven of eight or if they can win those four big games, but it's just hard from their body of work to expect them to do that. So 
I do think you're probably looking at right now. I mean, the way this conference has played out, 11 and 7 might be the four seed in the Pac-12 tournament, which is a first round bye. And if, as we expect, their tournament hopes are going to come down to the Pac-12 tournament. They probably need that first round bye. So, I think right now the goal is if you can get to 11 and 7, which I say would be 6 and 2, which which doesn't look real likely right now. But if they could do that and get to there and then have a first round bye then maybe you got a chance. But but that's probably the, the goal right now at this point is probably to try to get in that top four of the conference. At the point in the season now where we've got a pretty good sample size and feel for how good the players on this roster are. So I want to ask you, uh, who has been the most surprising player that you've seen on the Ducks team this year? And then who has been, uh, you know, it's tough to call, call them disappointing. They are college kids. But who's been the most disappointing player in terms of expectations this year? But let's start with... The most impressive to you in terms of expectation? Who has caught your eye as part of the Oregon roster so far? You know, it's a hard question because nobody's been really consistent. You know, I mean, you look at, you know, Peyton Pritchard had, had been kind of leading the same thing, but he had five points in each of the games in the Bay Area. And, and Paul White scored well, but he hasn't done the rebounding that I think you want from a 6'9 guy. And there was a time when Kenny Wooten really got it going, but he struggled in Pac 12 play. So. It's just been hard to, and Troy Brown, you know, the five-star has had some moments, but certainly hasn't, you know, strung together a bunch of games. So there's not really a guy you can look at in this roster and say, wow, this guy's kind of leading the way, and, you know, some others are falling behind. They just, they haven't had a guy that they can depend on every, you know, and, you know, it's unfair to look back at last year, but, but you know, when you look at Dylan Brooks or, or what Dorsey did at the end, there just hasn't been a guy that can carry this team to wins or, or carry them for five or six games in a row. It's just... It seems like if somebody has a big game, there might be two or three in a row, but then there's a drop-off. and they just I mean, I don't think this team right now has an all-Pac-12 player, you know, if you look at it that way. So it's just there, there just hasn't been anyone that, that's kind of strung it together and kind of carried this team along. About Troy Brown, I know the expectation for him was probably to be a one-and-done. Do you think he's done enough this year to still warrant that kind of conversation, or do you think uh, from what you've seen of him so far, would it be in his best interest to return as a sophomore? You know, it depends on where they have him. I mean, I think he's going to declare and, and go through it and see. And, and I saw Sports Illustrated this week still had him as the number 14 pick. If, if that, you know, and the comment on that was that basically pro scouts just looking into your potential rather than your college season. If, if he feels like he's a top 20 pick, I, I think he's gone for sure. And it sounds like there's some people who think he is. But I, I think he does. You know, two years ago we saw Dorsey and Brooks declare for the draft and come back. So you can do that. I, I think he declares and goes get the idea. If he's a first-round pick, he's probably gone. If he's not... I think he comes back and, you know, and he knows it'll be a pretty good team next year. So I think there's a possibility, but I mean, I think if you look at the numbers, you'd say he's definitely come back for another year, but, but it seems like his pro stock's still high enough that he'll at least take a look. You mentioned uh, Sports Illustrated mock drafts. I just pulled up the NBA.com mock draft that came out about a week ago, and uh, we'll use this to segue into my next question, but it's got Troy Brown going 30th to Golden State. Um which is interesting. Uh, Steve, you also wrote a piece uh, over the weekend on catching up with Jordan Bell, talking about Ducks that have impressed in Eugene and have made their way to Golden State. Jordan Bell, maximizing himself right now as a uh, as a pro, What 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 is his attitude like in his first season in the NBA? What were some of the takeaways you had from conversing with him? Well, it's you know he's kind of living that rock star lifestyle right now. I mean, when you've got that Golden State team, and he's talking about you know every hotel you show up at, you get off the bus and there's a line too deep of autograph seekers, and you know when you're it's kind of like the traveling circus, and you're there with with Curry and and Durant and that group. It's 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 pretty interesting. So he's enjoying it. You know he he felt snubbed. He thought he was going to be a first round pick. He felt snubbed that he wasn't, and then 
you know, he had the added motivation when Chicago basically sold the pick. You know, they drafted him and then sold him to Golden State. So he's certainly, I think, making some teams realize, you know, what he's done. He hasn't been huge numbers because he's not getting He was only averaging 14 minutes for them when he was playing before he got hurt. But I think we've seen that, that the Golden State was probably the perfect spot for him. And that's a place where you can go get a kind of a long athletic guy to come in and give you 14, 15 minutes. And he's not being asked to score a whole lot. He's just kind of, you know, it's kind of like at Oregon. You know, they, they, he averaged no more than, I think, 10 points a game was as high there. But it was rebounds, it was blocked shots, and, and a team like Golden State, they can send in there for a few minutes to do that. So it's been kind of the perfect spot for him, and, and he said he feels like it's, you know, he's forgotten that whole first-round thing. Now it's just kind of doing what you do there. And if you want to read that piece, uh, check out uh, at Steve Mims underscore RG, uh, and he's got it tweeted up there as well. Uh, Steve, before I ask you about the football side of things and uh, National Signing Day that was today, how do you see this matchup with the Huskies coming up on Thursday night, a Washington team that is riding a pretty emotional high after getting home wins over ASU in Arizona, the latter of which came at the buzzer in one of the more iconic moments of the college basketball season? Yeah, you know, Washington for a long time looked like kind of the feel-good story, but now it's, I mean, they're projected in the NCAA tournament by the end. I mean, I think Jerry Palm's got them as a seven seed. I mean, they're seven and three in the conference. They've got a huge non-conference win over Kansas. They've got a win now over Arizona. So those are the kind of things that everybody needs is a couple of marquee wins. They've got that. So it would be interesting. You know, they – and they've also – you know, the, the thing that Oregon struggled with in their recent losses, you know, they – Reed Travis kind of bowled them over for Stanford, DeAndre Ayton obviously for, for Arizona, and then when they lost USC, both Metu and, and Boatwright, a couple of their bigs had good games. And, and Washington's got Noah Dickerson, who's 6'8", power forward, who was the reigning conference player of the week. I think he averaged 25 points a game last week against Arizona. So – that's a tough matchup for them again, you know, and, and the interesting thing with Washington is they have a ton of veterans. You know, a lot of times when a new coach comes in, you, you kind of start anew, but he's got basically four returning starters added in a freshman who's their leading scorer. And like I say, I, I just think Dickerson's going to be a hard matchup. So I don't know what the uh, what the betting line would be, but but I, I, I think Oregon probably goes into that game at home as an underdog. And, you know, we've seen it at home. Oregon for a long time kind of ran the roost there, but, you know, they lost to Boise State. They lost to Utah. They lost to USC. That's three unranked teams they've lost to at home this year. So they haven't had quite the home court advantage they've had. So it certainly looks like it would be a big win if they can get it, but it's, it's certainly not anything that you can go in and think in their favor to this one. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I know ESPN's matchup predictor isn't the most accurate thing in the world, but it has the Ducks with about a 75% chance of winning this game, and uh, the unofficial line right now is Oregon minus five. So, you know, uh, I go... If you're listening, you know, go ahead and take it, take take a listen to Steve's yeah, comments there. Read between the lines. If you're in Vegas, I, I would say <laughs> that game's a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a pick'em right now. If 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 Vegas is giving me points with either of those teams, I'd probably take it. I'm, I'm surprised it's five. That's that's definitely more than I would have thought. I mean, like I said, Washington's a, you know, they're just outside of the top 25. They're a they're a team that's coming off back-to-back wins over ranked teams. They've won some games on the road, so I, I'm surprised to see that. That might be going more on reputation, but. Uh, Again, I'm I'm not a gambler, so I'm not going to jump on it. But I uh, <laughs> I might recommend if, if if some people out there are that that might not be a bad place to take some points. How do you think Vegas kind of makes, uh, or what Vegas would hypothetically make of this Oregon football recruiting class? Stock up, stock down? Was there value to it? Did it did it disappoint in any way? What did you make of what Oregon did today? Well, I think it's interesting because you know when they had their their spring game and they had a bunch of you know recruits signed in. They were suddenly the number one team in the country in the recruiting. Well, they got a lot of early commitments now. After Willie left, a lot of them left, and so 
Now Oregon falls to, you know, 15, 16, if you believe those rankings, which, which isn't far off from, I think their best ever was 11. So it's not that far off, but today they lost a few people that they were in on. So I think there's kind of a, a feel like, wow, they were, they were number one and they fell to 15 and they get some people today. But so, so I, I think it came in about exactly what you'd expect an Oregon class to be. I, I don't think it should be a big disappointment in that way, but I just think kind of the way it materialized going from early being really high and then losing some guys and then today not getting some guys that, I think the way it's trending to people is it looks like it was a little bit more disappointing because they were expecting this top one, top five class. Didn't end up being that, but, you know, I mean, when you take a team that's had, you know, I think they went seven and six this year, four and eight last year. They've had three coaches in the last three years. I think if you had been told that a couple of years ago, you said you'd take a 15 recruiting class, but just the way it worked out, it wasn't quite the finish people wanted. It's good to talk to you again, Steve. Thanks for joining us here on the Quack Attack and bringing the uh, Duck Basketball Insights. Encourage everyone to go check out uh, Steve's piece uh, when he talked with Jordan Bell over the weekend. Really good stuff there. And uh, Steve will continue to follow your work, and I'll uh, hope to see you down at Matthew Knight again once or twice before the season's out. Sounds good, Judah. I appreciate it. Big shout-out Steve Mims. Follow him on the tweet machine at Steve Mims underscore RG. Go away. Come back. Percy Allen, Seattle Times. Are the Huskies just a cute, feel-good story? Or are they coming into Eugene with intents of upsetting the University of Oregon? Percy Allen joins us next. and 7.50 the game. Seconds left, one high, four low. Iso Jalen Noel. Seven seconds left on the clock. Here he goes against Hawkins with four to play. Makes a move to the rim. Rejected by Aiden. Green for three. The ball ended up in the hands of Green. He put up a three from the right wing. He swishes it at the buzzer. And the Huskies beat number nine, Arizona. 78 to 75. What a call, Washington IMG. Tony Castricone called it Saturday at uh, up in Seattle as the Huskies upset number nine ranked Arizona. Chris Barty, real quick, behind the glass. Is that a good call by our uh, friend Tony Castricone right there? Good call or bad call? Because he goes a little bit in and out with the voice. You know, a la Sean McDonough in a big moment. Let's let's reset this again. This is this last part real quick here. Green for three. The ball ended up in the hands of Green. He put up a three from the right wing. He swishes it at the buzzer. And the Huskies beat number nine, Arizona, 78 to 75. So the voice crack in and out. I thought that was awesome. I'm back yeah. here throwing my hands up. Okay, I thought that was awesome. No, I did too. I did too. I think the crowd noise really helps, though, it is does. what I'm saying. Like the ambience to it all, the feel, the moment's awesome, but always know, helps. I don't know if you watched that Chiefs Titans playoff game, but my man, Sean McDonough, <laughs> man, for being such a veteran of broadcasting as that guy is. That was a tough one. Part you got to go over the top sometime. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but uh, cracking the voice, it happens, right? It happens. 
That it does. That it does. Uh, our next guest, though, he doesn't worry about any voice cracking. He is on the print side of things, and that's Percy Allen of the Seattle Times. He's going to join us on the line uh, right now. Percy, you want to talk about this uh, Washington Huskies team? And by the way, you can find Percy on Twitter, at Percy Allen. Talking about the Huskies, you know, the vibes with Washington got to be really good right now, but uh, w- considering the fact that they struggled as much as they did a season ago, Lorenzo Romar is out the door. Mike Hopkins comes over from Syracuse. Now he's in his first year in Seattle and has the Huskies right now projected as a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament should they uh, be able to finish this thing off the last eight games of the regular season. How much of a surprise has Washington basketball been in Seattle this year, Percy? You know, it's shocking, you know, uh, and uh, look, there's a lot of adjectives that you can use to describe it. I use that one, you know, it's shocking, it's astounding, uh, you know, you say surprising. I go with all, all of that because <laughs> no one saw this because last year they had the best player in, well, I don't know, you know, he was the number one overall draft pick and they won nine games and they won two games in conference. And so you lose him. And you and you know you lose a, a whole lot, and yet uh, the wins are just twice as much as last year. You, you, you know, so that part is just amazing. And 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 I hate to sort of kind of get too sappy with this stuff, but it really does show like the power of sports and belief and you know buy-in and just all those things that coaches sort of talk about. And sometimes we as we reporters just roll our eyes when we hear this stuff, but. A lot of it is true that you know that that if you can get young kids and their kids to to, to you know to like just believe in what you're selling, man, anything is possible. Uh, look, I've seen it. This team was allergic to defense last year, and I, I look. They, I mean, they didn't play any defense. They were awful, and this year they are embracing defense, and that's been the big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it all culminated Saturday with that upset of number nine ranked Arizona, Dominic Green, the three-pointer in the corner. Percy, I've watched that replay at least (laughs) about a dozen times. The arena is so electric at that moment, and it's a reminder of how exciting basketball in Seattle can be with that program. What was it like to be there? And given that upset of Arizona now, another upset of a top 10 team for Washington this year, you know, the, the vibes there have to be just reaching a, a peak level right now. It was really cool, you know, and uh, look, it, it like wasn't just a good night. It was a good week for Washington, and it began like six six days ago when their rival came in here, Washington State, uh, and, you know, they get the first sellout of the year, and they blow them out. I mean, that game wasn't close. It was it was really their, their, their like, most dominant effort of the year. And so then you follow that with Arizona State, a ranked team at the time, coming in here and, you know, and, like, thinking, all right, can they keep this going? And 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 they soundly beat Arizona State. Look, uh, you know, it was 68-64, but, you know, but they but they won that game. Uh, and this, so now you're thinking, all right, that was fun. You know, you beat your rival. Okay, you beat a ranked team, but it's going to stop now because here comes Arizona, number 19. And uh, and then on top of all that, you you know you had this emotional homecoming of Lorenzo Romar, you know who was here for the past 15 years, and you know now he's the associate head coach at Arizona, and so all of that's in the mix, and all that's in the hopper, and you know before the game, Romar gets this great ovation, and then during the game, it is just a absolute fantastic game. Uh, uh, 
and Washington battles this really juggernaut team of, of, of the Pac-12, battles them and is handling them. You know, they had the lead for over 32 minutes. And then this fantastic ending, neither team led by more than four points in the, in the, uh, in the, the final eight minutes. You're like talking about eight lead changes in the final eight minutes going back and forth. And as you said that, you know, it all ends on this three-pointer from green. You know, yeah, it was just a really amazing night. The final play, they put the ball in the hands of freshman Jalen Noel. First of all, yeah. the, fresh, the fact that a freshman is the leading scorer on this team right now, and he is at the controls on the deciding play. Eventually, Aiton comes over to block the shot, and it's a great block. But Dominic Green, right place, right time, and a, just an absolute perfect release at the buzzer. I mean, it's basketball beauty at its finest, seeing that shot go in. It really is. But what does it say about uh, Jalen Noel, the fact that he's the one getting the final shot and he's leading this team in scoring right now as a freshman out of Seattle? You know, so the thing with that is um, with Mike Hopkins, and this goes back to, you know, training camp before the season. You know, he uh, he came in with fresh eyes, you know, and that's what every first-year coach does, right? You know, and so he says, all right, what can everybody do here? And he identified Jalen very early as, look, he's the best guy on the team at getting a shot for himself. You know, he – and, look, I mean, that's just – how it is and you know regardless of age regardless of experience Jalen has a gift of being able to get a shot off you know for himself and he's been putting put in that role several times this year I mean at Arizona that wasn't the first time that was maybe the eighth time that they've done it that like essentially at the end of game they give the game to Jalen Noel this freshman this 18 year old kid and Washington oh correct me if I'm wrong here i uh Washington is 6-0 and in games decided by five points or less. 6-0. Mm. and So uh, uh, they trust Jalen. They've empowered Jalen. And he's delivered time and time again. Now, that time he didn't. Uh, but, you know, and they, they had the fortuitous bounce of the ball going to the right place. And it went to a guy who shoots 50%, you know, uh, on threes. And he nailed it. Percy Allen, Seattle Times, joining us right now on 1029-750 The Game. Follow him on Twitter, at Percy Allen. Another individual player that, uh, that is really impressive to watch is this Noah Dickerson kid, this junior out of Atlanta, the reigning Pac-12 Player of the Week, and now the reigning Oscar Robertson National Player of the Week. I know last week he was averaging a double-double in the wins over ASU in Arizona. What kind of impact and what kind of leadership does Noah Dickerson provide this team? You know, he's really... Uh... Stepped up his game, you know. Um, uh, uh, the, you know, the first thing with Noah is that he lost a ton of weight, you know, from from last season, which was what he needed to do. Uh, he slimmed down. He got his body right. He's got his conditioning right, and it's allowed him to play heavy minutes. Um, he is essentially the only low low post threat, um, and he knows it. Washington knows it. Everybody who plays Washington knows it, and yet teams have been unable to stop him. Here's a 6'8 kid. I'm not even sure if he's 6'8", but here's this kid <laughs> going up against two 7-footers at Arizona, and he didn't back down. I mean, he went right. I mean, he, I mean, he put his uh, elbow and his shoulder right into, 
DeAndre Aiden's chest. And we believe, many of us believe, that Aiden will be a top three pick in the NBA draft if he's not the number one overall pick. You know, seven foot one kid who is just probably the Pac-12's best big man since Lou Alcindor, Bill Walton. And that's not hyperbole. That's not me saying it. That's, you know, people who have covered this league saying it. And yet, you know, Noah Dixon completely outplayed him. Now, look, it was just one night. It was a fantastic night. But that night was, was a little bit symbolic of what Noah's been doing this season. Not to that standard, but he's been playing at a very high level. And Washington really needs it because of everything I just said earlier, that, like, they really don't have anybody else inside to go to. And so that's also been, you know, where they get in trouble, that, that if Noah gets saddled with early foul you know, problems, they struggle. You mentioned earlier the improvement the Huskies have made on the defensive end of the floor. I think of Mike Hopkins and his Syracuse connection. I immediately think 2-3 zone. Uh, I've seen in a recent piece that you posted uh, that Hopkins was talking about the nuance involved with his 2-3 zone, that it's got some variance to it. They can take away different things at different times. Uh, what have you seen with the Huskies' defense, uh, particularly with this zone that Hopkins runs? You know, the first thing that I see that really jumps out to me is that they make a point of taking away the three-pointer. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in today's game, in today's college game, that three-pointer is such a weapon. You know, so many teams rely on it. Uh, so many of these players sort of, you know, rely on it, you know, like uh, – Old folks like me, you know, sort of gripe about, you know, gripe about that there's no mid-range game anymore. You know, nobody, you know, does the pull-up jump shot, and they don't. And, you know, so, uh, you know, Hopkins and his zone really takes away that three-point shot, and it forces you to go to plan B. So teams like an Arizona State, teams like a Washington State that are, that, that, that are so three-ball reliant, they don't know what else to do. And so I tell you, you know, to, like, beat this team, you have to be able to operate inside. You, you like, have to have, you know, big people who are able to make decisions with the ball inside, in traffic, and do it not just once, but over and over again. And uh, if you don't have that, you know, you know and, and it's really nothing new, you know, because you know, uh, – Everyone knows that, you know, how to beat the zone is through high post action. And so you need a big guy at that high post being able to pass or dribble or shoot. And it's just not a lot of teams that have that. You know, the, you know, the one sort of what, what makes the zone kind of work is that there's not many people that run it. And so, you know, not, so teams don't really have to practice against it. And when you do, run up against a team that plays it, now you're forced, all right, what, you know, what plays work? And so maybe you've got two or three plays that work. But over the course of a 40-minute game here, those two or three plays, once you see them a couple times, all right, well, you know, the other team sort of knows it then. And so that's kind of what they're sort of running into. That's what these Pac-12 teams are, you know, sort of coming up against. Um, and it's been interesting to see what, these coaches do to make adjustments against something that they really don't see quite often. Percy Allen, Seattle Times, joining us, talking Washington hoops ahead of their showdown with Oregon right here on the game tomorrow night, 7-15 tip-off. As far as the matchup with the Ducks is concerned, Percy, I'm I'm looking at uh, Washington and 
on Ken Palm right now in terms of his uh, adjusted efficiency rankings. He's got Washington at 89th and Oregon at 90th. I mean, that's how about that? So right neck and neck makes that matchup fascinating. But in terms of recent trends, you've got UW coming off the two big home wins and Oregon getting swacked by 35 down on the farm. So what's kind of the feeling ahead of this, uh, this matchup with the Ducks? You know, for Washington, you know, they're treating it as more of the same here, you know. Um, and uh, I guess I believe them. Um, you know, you can only talk to these kids and these players and, get, you know, sort of take what they give you at face value. I've got to believe that, um, that, that there's more going on with this program. You know, uh, look at Oregon. They, you know, uh, you, you guys have dealt with this for – you know, eight years now with uh, Dana, you know, and by this, I mean, you know, having success and, and kind of, you know, n- sort of know what that feels like on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, or just having to deal with expectations. For Washington, they're really dealing with it now. This is basically two weeks in now. And as I said earlier, they had a fabulous week last week. And now this week they're being patted on the shoulders and on the backs by everybody. They're being praised. They're doing interviews everywhere, left and right. And so it's, it's going to be interesting now to see how they deal with success. You know, we've, you know, we've seen it time and time again in sports that, you know, it's, it's like fun to watch a team or a player to, to, to sort of climb up that mountain, you know, and then to, you know, and, and so now they're, you know, there, whatever there is, but now they're there. And, and now the trick is how do you stay there or how do you keep getting better? And so that's what we're going to see from this Washington team here is just, uh, you know, if we see Dominic Green now thinking that he's, you know, uh, Steph Curry and he's, you know, and he's <laughs> jacking up threes, you know, then it's like, okay, all right, maybe, you know, this stuff has gotten to his head. So that's going to be interesting to me. I, yeah, and then the other side of it is, and, you know, you guys probably have covered this ad nauseum. I firmly believe, because I've seen it time and time again, I firmly believe that a Dana Altman team just somehow figures it out in February. Because I've seen it, right? And so I just believe un, until he doesn't do it, I, I, I believe that Dana Altman is going to turn it around and figure it out He's never finished lower than third in the Pac-12, you know, other than his first year. And so I think they're going to come. I know everything. You know, I know they've, they've got new starters and all of this stuff. And I know, you know, maybe this team just doesn't play the defense that, you know, that Altman likes to play. But I think he's going to figure it out because he has before. That's Percy Allen, Seattle Times, joining us on the Quack Attack. Thanks to Percy for taking the time. Washington, Oregon, tomorrow night right here on the game and tips at 7.15. We'll go away. We'll come back, get our key matchup brought to you by the Oregon College Savings Plan. And a little surprise, an in-studio guest on the other side as we wrap it up. This is the Quack Attack. Judah Nuba here with you, 102.9, The Game. Welcome back to the Quack Attack for a final segment. We got a key matchup to present, and it's going to be Ducks-Huskies tomorrow night. Fire it up, party. Which matchup will be critical for the Ducks' success? Judah Newby breaks down the key matchup. Brought to you by Oregon College Savings Plan. Imagine the possibilities. 
Key matchup is more of a statistical category than anything. The University of Washington is 67th in Ken Palm ratings and adjusted defense. We know Oregon offensively 81st in adjusted offense. Huskies also the ninth best team in the country in terms of forcing turnovers. So, Oregon... They will have to take care of the basketball. We know Washington, as I said, ninth in the country in for- forcing uh, steals, actually, as opposed to the Ducks. Get this. When the Ducks have more steals than their opponent, they are 11-3 and this year. When they out-rebound the opponent, they are 12-1. and But in particular, taking care of the basketball, Mike Hopkins with Washington will obviously run the 2-3 zone that he's bringing over with Syracuse. It's going to be tough to get entry feeds. It's going to rely a lot on Mikhail McIntosh and Paul White to be able to possess the ball out of the high post and kick it out. So, if Oregon can take care of the basketball, get themselves some open shots, and then hit from three, they'll be able to win this game against Washington. I'll throw some uh, cold water on it and think, I'll go ahead and predict a Washington victory. I just don't like where Oregon is going right now. All right, going to wrap it up here on the Quack Attack for the last few minutes with an in-studio guest. That's right, people. We're we're never short of surprises, and it's going to take more of a theme of Oregon uh, football and National Signing Day 2018, Sarah Scrivens. What's up, Scrivens? How you doing? What is up? Hello, Judah. It's good to see you. (laughs) Good to see you, too. First time, long time. Long time. Well, a couple uh, weeks at yeah, least. Yeah. We, we went down to Eugene for the Civil War basketball game. Killed it on social media. Killed as, it. As the kids say. Struggled through some really bad Wi-Fi problems, but what? it was great. We got some great content out still. There should work. be uh, no such thing as Wi-Fi problems in modern day arenas. It's 2018. I know. You know, I don't want to sh- throw shade on MKA, but that was a grind. <laughs> Your first time there. That was yeah. a, that was quite the experience. <laughs> you were at the Oregon Convention Center earlier this evening, and uh, Mario Cristobal was there as well, talking about his recruiting class. What were some of your takeaways? Um, he was excited. I flat out asked him, I said, what do you want Duck fans to know coming out today? And he was like, we got better. He said, we got better at a couple of positions where we really needed to get better. Um, obviously, super hyped on Panay. Yeah. That's the guy. Obviously, right. the highlight of today um, picked Oregon over Alabama, USC. Um, but he also went around went around the room and gave shout outs to all different position groups. He said the O line is massive and should definitely set the tone at the line of scrimmage for years to come. Should be good. Um, he he just rattled off. We got the best player in Colorado, best player in Arizona, best player in Utah, best <laughs> tight end in California, and I could go on. And I was like, okay, nice. I, someone's feeling themselves today. That's yep. cool. Um, however, did note would have liked to add another receiver, maybe two, but um, they're gonna make it work. Yeah. So overall, he was really stoked. Um, great energy, and uh, yeah. Now you were uh, getting audio for us here on one hundred two nine the game and. There was an assistant coach that impeded your quest to find good quality audio. Ah, classic Levitt move. Oh, is this Jim Levitt? Jim Levitt. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, it might have been our fault choosing to interview coach right outside the bathroom, but (laughs) he hit that air dryer and I'm I'm working on the audio for you. I'm working on it, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it out. Jim Levitt hit the air dryer and that kept you from interviewing Cristobal with clean clean audio. I I mean, Cristobal was kind of, you know, Talking a little soft, so I mean, mm-hmm. bad coordination on our part. <laughs> but does it seem that uh, Crystal Ball made a attempt to really beef up the trenches this recruiting class, offensive line, defensive line? Did you find, kind of find that was a takeaway of his as well? Yeah, I mean, he said they're big guys, athletic guys, like should definitely 
be a good defensive presence. I mean, nothing. I mean, I don't remember anything specific off the top of my head, to be honest. But who, who shows up to those things, by the way? At the, oh was my it gosh, all media. Who shows up to the Oregon? I Convention also, Center? me and Bennett, station photographer, shout out. Shout um, out. We were walking around, and these people kept walking by with trays of like appetizers, being like, "Would you like one?" I'm like, "I wish I could, but I cannot." <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was definitely like, uh, you know. What were they saying? Alumni. I don't even know what it was that looked good, though. Cheesy something. All about the snacks. But anyway, yes, a lot of hyped Duck fans were in the building. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess they have good reason to be hyped. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where this team goes the rest of this first offseason with Cristobal. How they gel. I know Tyler Shuck is already on campus, and he's going to be the quarterback of the future for this team. But, you know, Willie Taggart took a lot of those previous duck commitments with him oh, to yeah. Florida State. Did that get brought up at all in terms of him recruiting against Willie? Did not. Yeah. Did not get brought up, um, at least in our little session. But, um, you know, he's thinking it's, about it. It's there. He's thinking it's about it there. for sure. That's yeah. that's definitely a sore spot. So. Well, the Ducks got plenty to work on this offseason. Basketball-wise, though, Scrivens, we were there for the Civil War game. You yeah. know, this team obviously looks a lot different than they did a year ago. That's, mm-hmm. that's plain to see. But, you know... They've kind of disappointed in parts during this conference season. We were at that Oregon State game. They look good, mm-hmm. especially for that first half. Mm-hmm. But since then, I mean, the Cal victory wasn't great. 35-point mm-hmm. loss to Stanford speaks to itself. Yeah. You're more familiar with that atmosphere at Matthew Knight than, than I am. Do you think the Ducks come home and rally around the home crowd and get it done against UW and Wazoo, or what are you thinking? I'd hope so. I mean, I think fans are going to bring the energy um, after the Civil War. They were, you know, it was rocking in there um, and definitely can bring the energy when they need to and boost the Ducks up. So who knows? I honestly don't know what to expect from this team at this point. Um, But hopefully they can pull something together. Not like they're going to make something happen in March. But, you know. Well, if they went out, they got a chance in at large. I'm not predicting that, though. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you. (laughs) Unless they they do something crazy in the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas. Where can people find you on the tweet machine? At Sarah E. Scrivens. Hit me up. And we're going to have a post on National Signing Day on 1029thegame.com shortly. So check Check, it out. Check that out soon, Scrivens. Thanks for popping in. Appreciate it. Chris Barty, you're the man as always, my friend. I'm Judah Nobi. This is another edition of the Quack Attack here on 1029 750 Game. Thanks to Steve Mims. Thanks to Percy Allen. Duck Huskies tomorrow. Tips at 7.15 here on the game. Televised on Fox Sports 1. Aaron Goldsmith, Casey Jacobson on the call. Ducks greet Ernie Kent and Wazoo Sunday afternoon. We'll bring in the Quack Attack again a week from tonight, 7 to 8 p.m. Thanks for listening. God bless everybody.